James chapter 1, verse 22. Today is the last sermon in our Practice Makes Church series. So if you missed any part of it, you can go to nolachurch.com and get caught up on all of them. They're all posted there on our website and our, the creative team has done a great job revamping that and making it easier, not only for you to be a part of it when you're here in the theater, but when you're socially distanced at home and all these things with all the crazy that's happening in our world right now, they've done a good job of making it easy for you to connect. So thank you all for leaning in. I hope you've enjoyed this series. I hope you've learned something. Anybody learn anything? Praise God. Anybody glad that you get to come to practice so you can go play the game Monday through Saturday. Amen. We, we want to kind of remove this notion that Sunday is the biggest part of our lives. For, for so many Christians, Sunday is, is the epitome. I live every week for Sunday. No, no, no. We go to Sunday to live Monday through Saturday. God pours things into us on Sunday so that we can step out of here and he can do great things through us every other day of the week. Amen. So we actually started this series off in two passages of scripture. We, we read out of James chapter one, but also out of the book of Philippians. And every Sunday in this series, I've gone back to Philippians, but today I want to go back to James, just kind of close this up, kind of do some bookends. So James chapter one, just one verse of scripture says this, don't just listen to God's word. You're supposed to listen, but don't just listen. Everybody say, just listen. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Like, all right, pastor, you're already messing with me now. Telling me there's things I'm supposed to do. Yeah. We're not saved by our works. But if we are saved, there will be works that flow out of a life that is filled with salvation. Amen. Nothing you do is going to get you saved. But once you are saved, everything that you do is a reflection of what has already happened in your life. Mm -hmm. He done gone to preaching now. Don't just listen. You got to do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Y'all, here's the truth. There are a lot of people who name the name of Christ. There are a lot of people who read their Bible. There's a lot of people that get the verse of the day on their phone or their tablet. There are a lot of people that go under the moniker of Christianity who are simply listeners of the word. But there's no application happening in their life. And we push ourselves into this regimented religiosity of I go to church on Sunday because I am saved or I am in relationship with God. And every other day of the week, we are missing him in our relationships. We're missing him in our jobs. We're missing him at our schools. But here's the deal. He is saying, don't miss me in those places. Don't leave me at church. Don't just put me in a box of your ideas experience me, encounter me for about an hour, hour and a half on Sunday, and then take me with you wherever else you live. We practice this day. The atmosphere is charged. We've done our best to remove the distractions, except for that light that has Tourette's that we're praying for. Some of you lie, I didn't even notice. I noticed, I noticed these things. Like I walk into the building, I'm the pastor. I walk into the building and I'm not looking at anybody. I'm looking on the floor, is there trash? You know, that's where my mind is. When things start going wrong, I'm like, why is it doing that? Like, forget about it. I can't stop forgetting about, you know. But we focus on all these things that God says, no, you, you come in here and you practice. Let's remove the distractions. Let me take the ball and put it up on the tee so every time you swing, you, you can learn and you can get that muscle memory of where to swing the baseball bat. 
I'm, I'm going to have you run the play the exact way every time, and, and the practice quarterback is going to throw the ball in the exact spot. Every time you're going to go to the free throw line and you're going to practice your free throws all day long. And then you'll go around the entire horn and just you'll practice, you'll practice it. If you play soccer, I don't know how you practice. That game makes no sense. I'm not even sure it's a real sport. <laughs> tennis, I would play tennis. I just don't look good in those little skirts. You know, it just, it's not a. But when you're in practice mode, yeah, yeah. Welcome to NOLA church. It doesn't get any better, I promise you. The jokes get worser. But we practice to remove the distractions. We want to get the distractions away from us. So we come into the house of God. The worship team has been practicing since Thursday. They, they practice all week long, but they come in here on Thursday and they work through things. And, and the prayer team is praying all week long. And then they come in early. Like the, today, man, God moved. We had a pre-experienced prayer with all of the dream team and God just began to thunder in, in the room. Like so much so that we just, we had to go live right during the middle of it just because he had interrupted. But we do this to remove the distractions because we want it when you walk in the door or when you log on, we want you to feel the presence of God without the enemy talking in your ear. And why is this important, Pastor? Because Monday, you're not going to have a church body around you. Tuesday, when you go to work or you go to school, or apparently when you get into a fight with your wife and she has to talk about it from the stage, but I'm totally I didn't even know we were fighting, babe. I'm sorry. Let me just, let me just say, uh, whatever I did, forgive me. I'm sorry. Please forgive me of all of my wrong. I was wrong. I didn't mean it. I don't know what I did, but yes, I was wrong. I was wrong for not remembering the dumb thing that I did. You know, you're going to have, you're going to have things happen. God, by the way, guys, that's how you have a good marriage. Yes, babe. I was wrong. Zach, am I right? I was wrong. Yes. <laughs> He's still practicing. <laughs> In a moment like this, so that when we go back to life, when we go back to reality, yeah, it's a dumb song, but yet yeah, it fits. All the people over 30 may remember that song. You people younger than 30, you're listening to too much Taylor Swift. You don't know good music, but. <laughs> Does she even do stuff anymore? I, I don't know. But maybe one day we'll be delivered from the Diet Coke girl, but I'm just saying. God wants to do things in your life. So you come into a moment like this and you have to let go of the distractions. Some of our distractions we carry with us, right? And we come into this house and we hear the word of God. And it would be very easy to say, okay, that was good. And then get up and walk out the door and nothing change in our story. But what James is admonishing us to do is don't just hear the word Put it into practice every day of your life. Don't be a hearer of the word only. Be a doer because the power of God in your life begins to be evidenced and realized through the actions that you live every day. So today, closing this out, I, I just want to simply title this, Practice Makes Legacy. Practice Makes Legacy. And, and, and getting ready for today's sermon, I, I was reading through the book of Acts. I felt like God was taking me to Acts chapter 20. In fact, if you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. It'll be on the screen, but 
If you want to go ahead and turn there and get ready, I was reading through, kind of getting some context. Because I don't like to come and just cherry pick a scripture and give you one scripture and say, here's what it is. I want to kind of give you the full story of what's going on. And I was reading through from about Acts chapter 15 all the way through. By the way, I'm not preaching six chapters today. Just going to preach a little bit out of chapter 20. But you need to understand a little bit of the context. The apostle Paul and and the, the men who are traveling with him, they're going to all these various cities and they're preaching the gospel. And God is doing very crazy things through them. They go to the city of Ephesus and they begin to preach and God begins to do such amazing things that people all over the city begin to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit just like it had happened in Acts chapter 2. By the way, we're one of those churches where that's okay. Because if it happened in the Word of God, it can happen right here, right now. Amen? Somebody believe that? Just in case, I want to make sure y'all remember that we still believe that. But God begins to do things, and just like what happens even in our day, when God starts doing something that is out of the human norm, the religious folks get ticked off. And the religious folks in the city of Ephesus were like, hey, first off, you're messing with our money because we make money by making idols and selling them to people so they think their God is an object. And you're messing with my income stream. Here's the deal. When when faith starts messing with your income stream, it starts messing with you, right? Something God's told you to do starts messing with money and then like you feel it tight. Y'all think I'm going to preach about money already and it's getting tied up in the room. I'm I'm not. I'm not. We're giving our offering next Sunday. Don't worry. Today you're fine. Still like the pastor today. He's not asking for anything. But God was moving. They they get upset. And and one of the business owners who was selling idols, he was making and selling idols, he, he takes them to court and he's like, hey, they're taking money from me by this gospel they're preaching. And things start getting crazy. Riots break out. Sound familiar? Things start happening. And the church gets nervous. They're like, Paul, you are not going there. Because they're threatening to kill you. And Paul says, no, I, I've got I've to be involved. I've got to speak to what's happening. And, and everything comes to a head. And they're like, we're going to kick this down the road a little bit because we don't want to get in trouble with the Roman government. And Paul says, all right, it's time for me to go somewhere else. It's time for me to take what God is doing here, leave it with you, entrust it to the leaders that are here. And I'm going to go somewhere else and I'm going to preach the gospel. But before I do, I want to begin to unpack some things into your life. And this is going to be the the foundation of where I want to go today as we learn about practice makes legacy. So in Acts chapter 20, we're just going to do four verses of scripture, 31 to 35. And I'm actually cutting 35 and a half. So it's like three and a half verses of scripture. So we're going to be okay today? Not too deep. Here's what he says. Watch out. In other words, be careful in the way that you live. Remember the three years I was with you my constant watch and care over you night and day and my many tears for you. And why is he saying this? Why does he start off here? Because he wants them to know God has called me to be your leader. You have submitted your life to the leadership God entrusted to me. And I want you to know that it's not just a title for me. I care about you. I know when you're not present. I feel it when you're disconnected. I recognize when you're going through something and I've been praying for you. Even if you didn't see me praying, I want you to know that I've carried the burden for you and I want you to remember Everything that we've been through over the last period of time. But you got to watch out. you got to be careful because life 
is going to happen. This is not in the notes today, but I want you to know this. One of the things that attacks the legacy that God wants to do in your life are the distractions of life. You start going through something and you all of, all of a sudden start thinking that you're worthless and that you don't matter because you're under an attack. Somebody know what I'm talking about? And then we start fixating on the attack and we think our life is over. I can't do anything because I'm struggling with this. Is somebody with me? But you don't need to let go in those moments. Remember what God has already done. Remember the testimony that he's already given you. Remember the victory that you had six months ago or the victory you had last week. Don't let go, but keep an eye open. Keep a watch out because the enemy is going to try to take your victory so that you can't leave a legacy. Verse 32, and he says, and now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. What's he doing? He's telling you, hey, I want you to grow up and be mature or mature the way that Chris says it. I want you to grow up. I can't be with you all the time. Here's the deal. You don't need your pastor with you all the time. If you do, you are not going to make it through the life. Because I can't be there. I got four kids and they're all girls. I got to go kill somebody for messing with my girls. I'm kidding. I'm not really going to kill people until they mess with my girls. And then, you know, I'm just kidding. But you don't need me in your life all the time. Go read Ephesians chapter 4. God gives us four gifts. Until we come to such unity in the faith. Somebody said, well, that unity of the faith is after we're all caught away and we're in the next life. No, keep reading. That's all about a unity of faith in, in the area that we are now. In other words, you got to get close to what God's poured into you. And then you got to keep growing to where you can stand on your own. And you don't need someone holding your hand the whole time. So watch out. Life is going to try to distract you. In fact, the time that you step out to serve, life is going to hit you square in the face. But remember what I've taught you. Remember what I've exampled for you. Remember that I've carried the water for you. And don't let go. Don't let the distraction wear you down. Verse 33, I've never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. He, Paul brought like a ministry team with him and didn't ask the, the people in Ephesus to do anything. He says, I got them. I'm carrying them with me. I'll take care of them. And I've been a constant example. Notice that a constant example. Leaders, learn from this. You're not just an example during the hour and a half that you're serving on a Sunday. Everything in your life is a constant example. Your social media feed is a constant example. You are preaching a sermon every time you post, whether you recognize it or not. You go off on somebody politically, you have just disconnected yourself from all the people on your feed that don't agree with you. So don't get mad when they disconnect from you. Don't get offended when they disconnect you. You're the one who did it. But I was right, maybe. You don't know if you were right. You're a leader. You're an example all the time. I was a constant, I don't even know why I said that. That's not even in the notes, but I still love you. Somebody need to hear that. I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. Notice this, Paul did not serve people for what he could get out of it. He didn't serve people 
to gain friends and influence people. He served people because it was who he is. It's the calling on his life. It's the man that God designed him to be. It is the believer that he was saved to be. So let me, let me give you the first point of today's sermon. True humanitarianism is the overflow of what we've received from Jesus. There's a trend in Christianity. It's not a bad trend. Not all trends are bad, but there's a trend in Christianity for the church to begin to do a lot of humanitarian things. And, and by the way, we're, we're actually in the final preparation stage of doing a lot of major humanitarian stuff in Mathari North and Nairobi. But we're also, as, as Olga mentioned earlier, we're getting ready to, we were going to feed 2,000, but apparently we, there's more people that God wants us to feed, right? So we're going to step up and we're going to feed more. This is a very humanitarian thing to do. There's not a thing wrong with that unless you think that is the reason you were called. You were not called to do humanitarian things, but sometimes you do humanitarian things so that their walls come down. Tell them I said hi. Humanitarianism is not our calling if it's about just making a difference in this life, but when our humanitarian acts connect them with the next life, our humanitarian works are the overflow of what we've received from Jesus. He is gracious, he is kind, he pours out. And we see Paul here, here teaching the people by example, I'm not coming with my hand out, I'm coming with my arms full so that I can serve you, so you can learn how to serve others. That's good today. Paul's ministry was not about, oh, somebody hear me. Paul's ministry was not about building his brand or spreading his own fame. Far too many Christians are looking for a gathering. They're buying followers on social media and then they're trying to buy followers in their life by telling them something that doesn't challenge them, just tell them something that feels good. It sounds a lot like in the end times, people will heap under themselves teachers having itching ears. Like, tell me what I want to know. Don't tell me anything that challenges me because if you challenge me, you're in my feelings. You're shaming me. You've attacked me because you've challenged me. Hogwash. Paul wasn't trying to build his brand. In fact, in one of his letters, he said, do you think I'm trying to gain friends here? If I were trying to gain friends here, I would not preach the gospel. Because here's the deal. The gospel is offensive. The church just needs to be more kind. Yeah, the church does need to be more kind. But understand, the gospel is going to be an offense to every bit of carnality in both us and the world around us. Stop watering down the truth. Just speak the truth the way he wrote it, the way he meant it. There's not going to be any life in some watered-down religion. Oh, my God, the world has been filled with religion for centuries, and it hasn't saved anybody. Come on, let's start preaching the Word of God. It's going to be offensive. The first person it should offend is you. And when you get over yourself, you can get out there and start pouring out of yourself. Look at your neighbor and say, whoo, he's preaching. Let me give you point number two. True ministry is about connecting people with Jesus, not yourself. True ministry. Everybody say true ministry. That word ministry, like in, in, in the church culture, it's like I want to be a minister, which means I want a parking place and I want a salary. Or in some cases, give me a microphone, that'll work. Ministry has nothing to do with you, 
your plans, your dreams. Ministry is literally the word service, and it's literally the lowest form of servant. My job as your pastor is not to tell you how to live your life. My job as your pastor is not to stand up in front of you and say, don't do this, but do this. I know that's what a lot of preachers do. I know that, that that's kind of become the culture, but that's not my job. I am a minister of the gospel, which means this. I serve God and I serve you. My job is to come up to you with a tray and a towel on my arm and say, how may I help you today? Oh, by the way, this is what the chef prepared. Here are today's mercy muffins. <laughs> Tina, you thought I forgot all about mercy muffins. The best muffins in the world. He makes mercy new every morning. There's a fresh batch of mercy coming out. Woo! Like, like I, I'm, not, I'm not even going to take your order because the chef already knew what you needed before you ever knew that you had a want in your life. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to serve. That's, that's my job. Pastor, I need you to tell me how to deal. It's, I have no clue. Have you seen my life? I'm a wreck. Like I'm the only dude in my house. I have no opinions about anything. My response is, yes, here's the wallet. Just take it. Just, just go. Like, you don't need me to tell you what to do. You need me to get up under you and carry you through the hard times, lifting you up to Jesus. True ministry is about connecting people with Jesus and then backing up and letting him be God. Well, I feel like I just need to minister to them. Shut up. I've got a word for them. No, you don't. He gave you 66 books of word. Why are you trying to make up other crap? I got too real. I'm sorry. I'll back up. We need to get up out of our feelings and get up out of our religiosity. Use the gifts the way they were designed. Don't add to them. Just do what God told us to do. Speak the truth. You want a word of prophecy? Anybody want a word of prophecy? By the way, that's not a fortune teller telling you what's coming in the future. A prophet is someone who opens up the word of God and speaks the truth of God. Let go of our titles. Let go of all of our positions and just declare this is what he said. It's not about building a brand, serving people in true ministry. is about connecting people with Jesus Paul's life served as an example for other believers to follow to help people who were in need. And he wasn't just doing the spiritual needs. Yeah, he wanted to, to meet the spiritual needs. He wanted to see them move out of darkness into marvelous light. But he knew there were situations where he might need to do something humanitarian to get their attention and I'm gonna serve you so I can serve you into the open arms of a loving God. Notice this, true service is about meeting the needs of other people. True service is about meeting the needs, say when we say other, say other. Well, I'm a people, yes, you are a people, but you went to the house of God on Sunday, you went to the storehouse on Sunday to get what you needed. So when you step out to serve, it's not about you anymore. In fact, one of the best things you can do to deal with your own issues, by the way, real quick, anybody in the house got issues today? Everybody look around. The people that don't have their hands up, those are the people with the real issues. 
Next Sunday's all about lying up in the house of God. But the best way that you can, you and I both can deal with our issues is start serving someone else and forget all about our issues because as we're pouring out, God meets every need that's in our life. He knows what we're dealing with. He knows what we're going through. Just start overflowing and watch how he just takes care of your stuff. True service is about meeting the needs of other people. If you truly want to leave a legacy, you've got to take your agenda and put it on the shelf and hope it dies. Start living a life filled with the Holy Ghost and allowing the Spirit of God to breathe into you, telling you where to walk and where not to walk, where to go and where not to go, how to live and how not to live, what to say and what not to say, what to post and what not to post. Just letting him breathe and live through you. And as that happens, a legacy is imparted to you and then a legacy begins to pour out of you. Let's, let's look at the second part of verse 35. He says this, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He takes them back to the foundation. Look at your neighbor and say, you should remember what Jesus said. The problem is we forget so much what Jesus said because we're too busy listening to what other people say about Jesus. And I'm sure they said some good things, but that's not going to change anybody's life. You need to remember what Jesus said. He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Let me unpack this for you real quick. The word blessed in the Bible, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, whether it's ancient Greek or excuse me, ancient Hebrew or Aramaic, or if you're in the New Testament and it's ancient Greek, the word blessed is not stuff. The blessings of God are not material goods. That's the primary problem with the, the prosperity theology. You love God and you get rich. First off, I ain't ever seen that happen. I've seen some people get rich who serve God, but they did something outside of God to get that way because God doesn't care if you're rich or if you're poor. He'll use you wherever you are available. But here's the reason that people like to preach a prosperity doctrine. They want to convince you, if you give me money, God will give you money. It doesn't matter if they agree with that or not. That's what they're trying to do. Buy my book for $49.95, two easy payments. Buy my prayer cloth because your faith isn't strong enough to go lay a prayer cloth on somebody. Buy my special oils. Buy, buy my special program. Stop. It's not about us. It's not about our ministry. In fact, if it's our ministry, we've already messed up. It's his. It's our service to others, but it's his ministry. And the word blessed literally means this. God approved. You gain more approval from God by giving than you do receiving. Anybody need God's approval in your life? Live with an open hand and then empty it out. And about the time you empty it and you turn it back over, boom, approval. You turn it over, boom, approval. You turn it, boom, approval. But you got to keep doing this. You can't just say, it's mine, it's mine, 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 mine. I just, I just have to get, I just, I need my worship on Sunday. Give that man an offering. I'm kidding. But it's not about us. 
If he pours it into us, it's essentially for us to absorb what we need out of it and pour it out on somebody else. Go back, get filled up again, come over, pour it out. I'm a little teapot, short and stout. I should never do that dance again. A relationship with Jesus compels us into ministry to others. And notice this ministry is not about a platform. It's about intentionally engaging and making a difference in someone else's life. So notice this, true ministry. Everybody say true ministry. True ministry is two things. First off, true ministry is a calling that God has placed on you. Nope, didn't place it on me. Place on that person that wants to be full-time at the church. Nope. The moment you receive salvation, the moment that you walked into this relationship with God, the moment you were baptized into the family of God, from that moment forward, you are called into ministry. Does that mean I have to quit my job? No. Stay at your job because that's the field where he called you to do ministry. Stay where you are. He's going to do things in your life and for you. So the first thing, true ministry is a calling that is on every person who's received salvation. The second thing I want you to know this, true ministry is legacy. Why do we use that word a lot? In fact, that's one of the, our church, for those of you who don't know, our NOLA church is built on the structure of five ministry circles. And the fifth one is legacy. Because everything that we do as a church is not about furthering a brand here on earth. Yeah, we do marketing. We have a great creative team who do a great job, but it's not about our brand. It's about the God of our brand. It's about leaving a legacy. When I am gone, what impact did I leave? Did I truly make a difference in their life or did I just touch them for a moment and then the moment I leave, nothing has changed? Living a life of salvation is about living Legacy, and, and legacy is literally this, a life that serves others, leaving a lasting connection between them and Jesus. So ask yourself this question, what am I leaving when I leave work every day? When I walk out of that school classroom, what have I left? When I get up in the morning and I go to work and I leave my family at home, what legacy have I left behind me? God forbid that I die on the way home from church today. But if I do, will people remember me because of two or three things that I said? Or will there be a legacy that they can look back and say, that individual connected me to Jesus Christ and I'm still in love with him today. One of the worst things about being a pastor is when you have to preach a funeral. I don't like funerals. In fact, I told my girls this, this past weekend, like, you don't even have to go to mine. I'm not going, so I'm not going to expect you to be there either. I, I, I've already told my family, and I don't care if you disagree, me, disagree with me theologically, you can get over it. I, I don't, I don't want to be in a box, burn my hide, put me in a, in a Ziploc bag. When the trash man comes, just drop it in there. I don't care. Don't put me in a vessel on your mantle. Ew. 
Don't push me down into a crystal and wear me around your neck. Ew! I don't want to see dead people. You know, that's not... But like one of the worst things that I, I do in my job is, is minister to people in a funeral. Like, Truth be told, it, it's actually an honor to serve people in that area, but I don't enjoy it. This past weekend, some of our NOLA fam lost their daughter or this past week. And they asked Olga and I to come serve. And it was our honor to stand with them in the pain and be there to speak words of life. And like, you, you never really know what to say in those moments. Hey, a parent loses a child. Like, how, like, what do you say? Truthfully, is anything you say going to even matter five minutes later? In those moments, by the way, some of the best things you can do is just be in the room. But we were honored. Even in this season where you're not real sure, hey, can we go, can we not go? Do we need to socially distance or whatever? We were honored that we got to go be a part of the celebration of their daughter's life. And one of the, one of the beautiful things about this, they, they had told me, because she wasn't a member of the church. We didn't really know her that well. We'd done some things with her, but we didn't know that much about her story. And they said, just go look at her Facebook page. And if you don't mind, just prepare some words and see what her friends have said about her. And one of the things that impacted me so much as I was preparing to speak at this funeral was she had people from grammar school and kindergarten that were posting on her social media page about things that she had done in their life. And the only word that could come to my mind in this moment was, what a legacy. Like people, she, she was 40 years old, way too young, way too young. But she was 40 years old and people that she made an impact when she was four and five years old were commenting about how much of an impact. Think of that legacy. Think of the legacy. And it made me, God, not for me to have a bunch of followers on social media, but I wonder what people would say if I passed away today. I wonder if I've been so careful to protect myself that I pushed everybody away I was unable to leave an impact or maybe I was too concerned about my own ideas and my own agenda that I wasn't even worried about the needs in their life and I put myself before them. God, if I've done that, like what kind of legacy am I leaving in those moments? God began to speak some things to me and, and here's what I got out of this. I'd actually already written Sunday's sermon. I felt like God pulled me back in and said, no, 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 I want you, I want you to go here. So bear with me. And those of you that were here at the beginning of COVID all the way through all this and up until the, the beginning of this month when we were in the Root series, I'm not going to go back and re-preach that never-ending series. But legacy begins in our lives through God's process of restoration. Legacy is literally where restoration takes place in our lives. It happens in three ways. Here it is. First, by returning our faith. Y'all remember this from studying through the book of Malachi. We return our faith. In other words, we trust him with our beliefs and our opinions. Let's return our faith to him. 
Let's get our faith off of our brand. Let's get our faith off of our ideas. Let's return our faith to him. And then also by returning our family. Here's the deal. We can learn to trust God with our relationships. When we trust him with our opinions and our beliefs, and then we trust him with our relationships, he begins to do something in us. And then as we've also learned, returning our finances. You know, pastor, you said you weren't asking for anything. I'm not asking for anything. But returning finances is less about money and it's more about trust. We return our trust to him. In other words, we trust him to provide all that we need. Because when we trust that he'll provide all that we need, we don't feel like we have to work around the clock to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. And when we trust him with our opinions and our beliefs and we trust him with our relationships and we trust him with our provision, he says, okay, all the distractions are out of the way. Practice in this for a minute. Just practice. Just practice loving the fact that I got you. And after you practice, step out of the practice ring onto the field and start pouring out faith. Start pouring out relationship. Start pouring out provision that goes beyond humanitarian stuff. It may start there, but it continues beyond that. Practice in my presence and then step out and pour out what I've poured into you. Notice this. Legacy happens in our lives when our restored lives begin to overflow. Pastor, I just feel like I'm overwhelmed. I don't feel like I have anything to pour out. You probably don't. Doesn't make you bad, it makes you overwhelmed. If you find yourself in that place, return your faith back to Him. Return your relationships back to Him. Return your trust back to Him and let Him be all that you need. Then you begin to realize that you had more than you ever thought you didn't have. And then pour that out. Let me break it down for you real quick. We overflow our spiritual gifts by serving the body of Christ. I love our dream team at NOLA Church. They're amazing people. There's right around 90 people that serve in the dream team at NOLA Church. They don't all serve every weekend, but we, we got it on a schedule. And they help. And here's the deal. We don't put people in place serving on a Sunday because we need people in place. No, they need to be involved in what God's doing. And they've learned if I pour out on Sunday, God pours into me the rest of the time. And they, they work and they serve. And they, they some of them like work hard to make sure that it's distraction-free so you can connect to Jesus. I love our dream team. But we overflow spiritual gifts by serving the body of Christ. Don't try to use your spiritual gifts on people who don't know Christ. Practice on the body of Christ. They'll give you more grace anyway. You walk up to some guy on the street and say, I have a word of prophecy from you. Like, I don't even have any tarot cards. Like, I don't even know what to do. They don't know what's going on. Don't, Don't do that. And the next, we overflow our relationship with Jesus by inviting the lonely into our family. When's the last time you invited somebody who was hurting into into God's family? Is your house so pristine and perfect that it doesn't have an open door where somebody who's hurting can come in? Is your life so stained and broken that if someone with a need steps in that you're going to crumble and fall apart? 
If it is, like, it doesn't make you bad. Let me just tell you, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Because we got to open up and overflow that relationship we have with him and invite the lonely. Here's the deal. The Bible says that God places the lonely in families. Guess what family? Yours. Mine. Ours. He takes the lonely and the broken heart and says, these are my people. I've planted legacy in them. They've got what you need. Then third, we overflow our trust by sharing our time, our talents, and our treasure to reach the lost. Well, Pastor, that, that's awesome. I, I give every month because I watch the commercial and I heard in the arms of the angel and I know that I need to save the puppies. Look, I, I don't want to kill no dogs. No, I can't watch that commercial because I want to go get them all. And here's the deal. God didn't ask you to serve puppies. God asks you to serve people. If we're so busy getting caught up in these earthly ideas, which aren't evil, let's be real, saving puppies is a good thing. Like, want to save the whales? Awesome. They don't know how to thank you. Thank you. I, I don't know. That's awesome. Good. Good for you. I want to save the environment. Good luck with all that. You got a lot of people fighting you on that one. Come to New Orleans. They stop at the at the red lights intentionally to mess up the environment. Here's my bag of McDonald's right there. That's where it needs to go. I'm, I'm gonna pour out all my finances to save the environment. Better people than you that had more money tried. I'm gonna recycle. Great. They love the fact that you recycle. They make a lot of money taking all the stuff you put into the different bins and dumping it into the same place. Oh, pastor, they don't. Yes, they do. Because you can't make money recycling anything but paper. It's too expensive. Oh, by the way, you use more fossil fuels to recycle the other stuff, so you didn't really save anything. That's not even in the notes, but you're welcome. Stop buying into the malarkey. Don't invest your time there. This earth is going to pass away. Don't store up treasures on this earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and the thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves can never break in and steal. In fact, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. Here's the deal. God doesn't care what condition the earth gets in. Don't start littering. Don't say, Pastor said litter. Pastor didn't say litter. But God don't care. Because he's bringing a new heaven and a new earth. He don't care what condition we leave in. He says, I'm going to recreate it and I'm going to establish my kingdom right there on the earth that I spoke into existence over 6,000 years ago. Mess it up all you want. My word will fix it in a moment. But don't hoard for yourself. Don't be selective. Learn to share your time, your talents, your treasure to reach the lost. You want to invest in something big in your life? 
You want to put your time and your talents to work in something that's going to make a difference? Reach the lost. Let me show you how to do this. Pastor Rachel's going to be so happy I did this. Today at 4.30, right? 4.30? Today at 4.30 is Legacy Track. This is the first time we've done a Legacy Track. But here's the deal. We're going to teach you the serve culture at NOLA Church. If you want to be a part of serving, here's it, you know, I'm not joining the church. That's fine. You don't have to join the church. Just come learn how we serve. Come learn why we serve. Come learn where we serve. She's going to have some really cool things for you, and you're going to learn some stuff. And then we're going to go step out into all the different areas that we serve around the city, and we're going to pour out a unified body of overflowing what God has already flowed into us. Because here's the deal, y'all. This is where legacy is where our lives become effective. So I want to challenge you with this, and then I'm going to get out of the way. you got you got to learn to practice what you've received. So here you are. I want you to discover your place on the dream team. There's a place for you, like pastors trying to get more people to serve. No, I'm trying to give you an opportunity to get poured into and to get your eyes off of yourself and actually start living what you say you believe. And then I want you to discover your place in the community. Learn to grow by trusting other believers. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but we all have trust issues because we've all been hurt. But you need to get into a life-giving relationship with other believers. We call them small groups, but you need to get involved in those so that you can grow as a believer. And one of the first areas you'll grow is in trusting someone else. Because God is going to surround you with people that are going to walk it out with you. And you'll grow from that. And then the last thing I want you to discover the opportunities. There are opportunities that are all around you. God's placed opportunities in your life. I didn't even know there were opportunities. There are. God didn't put you at your job accidentally. God didn't put you at your school. Like you didn't just transfer into that school because you got kicked out of every other school. That's not how that worked. God said, oh, that's where you're going? I can use you there. I've got a purpose for you here. You got to look at the opportunities that are already around you and say, okay, God, it's Sunday. Pour into me so I can go pour out of me what you have put in me.